was hot, and Lake Erie was like glass. Finally, my dream came true. Steve Novak and Ronnie Perelka invited me to go walleye fishing on Lake Erie. History in the making. Never went walleye fishing before that. A couple months ago, Steve and Ron packed the 17-foot ski boat or fishing boat that Steve had, and we went down to, I went down to the harbor area, I guess, or the pier, and dropped the boat in, went out for six hours. I thought of nothing else. I didn't think of you at all. The only time I thought of Penny is when I text her for something I forgot at home or something like that. I was, uh, I was in fishing heaven. It was a beautiful day. We caught 38 walleye. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody more than that? Anybody? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> 38 walleye. Never caught a walleye. And, and even the fishing exercise of doing it was, was new to me. We just kept traveling about 2.5 miles an hour back and forth in front of the, front of the city there. and Loved it. Tremendous. Never once did I want to jump out of the boat. I would have gone right down through the top of the water. Never once. Because <clears throat> I know that's what would happen. I knew that's what would happen. Plus, everything I had in life, other than Penny was in that boat. Most important was my lunch. <laughs> Why would I want to jump out and, and goof that up? <clears throat> so I had my cell phone. That's, that's important. I had my lunch. I had the rest of my fishing gear. Everything else was in that boat. I, I, my future was in that boat, in fact. Why would I want to jump out? Turn to Matthew chapter 14, please. We're going to talk about some other guys that didn't jump out of the boat. And uh, as you make your way to Matthew 14... I want to pray once again... Whether we pray together or alone, Penny and I pray for dear Ryan Gabler every day. Ryan is the brother of Kristen Day, so she's got two Ryans in her life, and her brother is not well at the moment and is not getting any better, struggling with a brain tumor. Some of you know Tim and Sue Gabler. They attend Bethlehem Baptist Church. Let's take a moment and pray for Ryan and the family right now. We've sung about your sovereignty this morning, Lord. Uh, And that's easy to sing about, but it's not always easy to believe and to live and to live out that sovereignty. 
meaning you are God and you will do what you want according to your purpose and time. And that's what the Gabler family, that's what the Day family and others are resting on is your sovereignty. And it's, it's all the way through your scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, your sovereignty. And also the spiritual exercise of prayer. And James tells us that we pray in your will, not ours. So we pray for continued comfort for Ryan. We pray for the doctors that are uh, responsible and accountable to the family regarding their knowledge and their wisdom uh, for Ryan. We know that these hours and days that go by are hard on families, and so we pray for comfort and encouragement. May you guide and direct in all of that, Father, for your glory. We know, Father, that Ryan over the years has given a clear, clear testimony of, of your work and salvation is life. And truly, Ryan, if he was here this morning, could say and sing, I am a child of the King. I am God's child. So we know that heaven awaits him. And we know that's better for all of us than even here. So we thank you for the prayers and that which is being done for Ryan. And uh, we pray for the family. In Christ's name, I ask. Amen. Two, two Sundays ago, Steve Folks stood at this pulpit and introduced his message, Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 21. And I thought, oh boy, there goes, there goes whatever I wanted to preach. I didn't know exactly what he was going to say or, or uh, the, the passage. All I heard was Matthew 14, and right away I thought, there goes... Uh, so he missed it by a verse or so, but I'm thinking as I, as I listened to him and, and took in everything that's, that Pastor Steve shared that morning, uh, th- this is all support in what I'm going to share in two Sundays. I often, often see things like that happening in our ministries where the Holy Spirit guides and directs through people and through their thinking. Just this week, I was with an individual, another man, that we couldn't believe how, how well uh, God's guidance was in bringing our, our minds and thoughts together. So I praise the Lord for Steve's message two Sundays ago and how that supports what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to read Matthew 14, 22 through 32 out of the New King James Version. Follow along, if you would, please. And remind yourself that the author or the writer of this book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, the first book in the Gospels, was sitting in that boat. The disciples were all there in the boat that we're going to talk about. Let's read. 
Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. What multitudes? Well, the ones that Pastor Steve just talked about two Sundays ago. Jesus and the disciples fed how many? 10,000 plus. 10,000 plus people. Matthew records in that passage that there were 5,000 men, but he doesn't just stop there. He says 5,000 plus men, uh, women, and children. So us evangelists and preachers, we like to, you know, add things together and multiply. So we're figuring every man maybe had one wife there or whoever, a girlfriend, and maybe some kids running around, which there were. We know that for a fact. So probably about 10,000 or more people what did they do? What was so important about that? They fed all of those people with some fish and bread. Try to imagine you standing there and watching the bread and the fish multiplied as after Jesus prayed to his heavenly father, and as they passed it out, everybody had enough. In fact, they had some left over. You're a discipler, a disciple. What would you think? Boy, this guy's good. I'm going to stick with him for a while. Matthew 14, so they've seen some miracles prior to that, but that, that just blows my mind. So Jesus sends the crowds away after he's preaching, after he's done preaching and teaching, and he immediately, Matthew and Mark like that word immediately. There's 38 immediately in, in the book of Mark. When you read through the whole book, there's 38 of those immediately. In Matthew, not so many, but he says at the very beginning of his verse, of the verse here, 22, immediately he sent the guys away, put them in a boat, sent the, sent the crowd away, and he went to the mountain to pray. Let's continue, verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Which, by the way, in the Old Testament, mountains were known as places of worship. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. Verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So the disciples are in the boat, all of them. And he sent them across. He said, I'll meet you on the other side. Now, in the fourth watch of the night which was anywhere between 3 and 6 (laughs) a.m. So we'll see that almost every day, don't we? 3 to 6 a.m., we're into the fourth watch of the night. Jesus went to them walking on the sea or walking on the water. Verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Some versions call it frightened, So they were frightened or troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately, the second time it's been mentioned in this passage, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Hey guys, be be of good cheer, or in other words, take courage. It is I! Be of good cheer! Take courage! Hold it! Don't get so frightened now! Don't, Don't... Don't go into a fear mode. It is me. It's Jesus. Do 
28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately the third time, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And in fact, when they got into the boat, they worshipped Jesus. (laughs) I can see Ron and Steve. I'm getting tired of sitting in the sun and and I, I, I want to get wet, so I jump in. I can see them saying, see, John, we're off, as they put along 2.5 miles an hour. We'll catch you around the second time when we, when we come back. Did you notice here in your version and in mine, I helped you understand it a little more as I read it, six times Jesus refers to fear found in the boat. Six times he refers to fear. In, in 20, verse 26, it's mentioned twice. In verse 27, it's mentioned twice. And in verse 30, it's mentioned once. And verse 31, mentioned once. Six times. What might be the theme of this passage? I tell those every once in a while under my teaching ministry that when, when a, a word is repeated time and time again, you want to you wanna listen. You want to perk up because the writer is the human writer. The author is the Holy Spirit. And both of them combined have good reasons to repeat words time and time and time again. So expositionally, exegetically, pulling out of the passage instead of me saying this is what the passage means because this is what I want it to mean, I'm pulling it out and saying plain hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible tells me that if it's repeated at least six times that something is important here. And it sounds to me as I read it as though Jesus was wanting as I read the whole passage, wanting to instill courage in these fellows in the boat. Acrophobia. Anybody have acrophobia? <laughs> A fear of high places? Usually you get me any higher than this platform, than, and I have acrophobia. Get me on a, on a straight ladder going up to the ceiling and I, I would have acrophobia. The fear of heights, of uh, high places. Claustrophobia. Ooh. That affects wrestlers. The fear of close or closed places. A lot of us have that. Mysophobia. Well, you would think that it would be those who are afraid of mice, Penny. But it's the fear of germs. 
Monophobia, fear of being alone without other people. Mono, M-O-N-O, alone, one. Pyrophobia, the fear of fire. Zoophobia, I love animals. I don't know how anybody can have a fear of animals. Zoophobia. <laughs> what else would zoophobia be but a fear of animals, right? Glossophobia. Glossophobia, G-L-O-S-S-O. The fear of public speaking. This last spring, going into the summer, uh, we had seven workshops on local evangelism and how to do that. And we, I mentioned that fear of public speaking is number one in America. The fear of all the fears, number one. What am I doing here? There is no criticism in my words or my voice and my tone when I mentioned them. Some of us have those fears. And that's just the way it is. That's the way some of us are wired up. Doesn't mean we have to stay that way. But we do, we do have fears. You know of the famous commercial on TV, What's in Your Wallet? My question this morning is, what's in your boat? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it non-confidence? I have no confidence in in, in me, some of us might say. Uh, turbulence? Pride? What is holding us back in stepping over that boat edge and by faith walking on the water? There's a book, rather humorous, written by a Christian man. You can't walk on the water if you don't get out of the boat. Right? Some of you have shut me off already because we have this fear. He's going to help. He's going to try to change my mind, and I love the boat I'm in. I love it. So you're shutting me off right now. I've got an hour and a half to go yet. By the way, I don't think I mentioned in the announcements that, uh, that this is ABF Sunday. We still have ABF and Sunday school following, but we do not have an evening service. It's the third Sunday, okay? I wanted to remind you that. I think I forgot. Take the little blue paper out of your bulletin, if you would, please. And um, Ed, if you would turn on those slides and see what we can do. I, I want to emphasize the lessons found in the boat. <clears throat> Hopefully, over this last week, you were able to read Matthew 14, 22 through 32, if you had time to do that, announced last Sunday. <clears throat> and while there are tremendous messages and lessons about Peter walking on the water and 
and what we can learn from that and how relevant that is today for us, uh, we, we, want to, we want to look toward the boat and how does that relate to us. The first one there in your, in your little uh, half sheet is Jesus prepares them, the disciples, for a teaching moment. <laughs> okay. Why did I know this was going to happen? <laughs> Take me back to the beginning, Steve, uh, Ed, and you do the whole thing for me. I can't chew gum and preach at the same time, so. Jesus prepares them for a teaching moment in verses 22 through 24. I mentioned already that Steve Folk's message uh, how it supports mine today. And I want you to realize that that 80% of the Gospels where Jesus encountered or was with the disciples or his apostles, that 80% of the time that he was with them, he, it was teaching moments for them. 80% of the time with his, with his disciples was directed at, for their attention. Whether it was miracles and they were just standing by. But those were tremendous teaching moments. Parents, grandparents, aunties and uncles have that kind of time with children. They're around them all the time. Creating teaching moments. And so what Steve brought last week, two weeks ago was supporting in that Jesus was saying to the disciples, not only did he bless and bring miracles to the 10,000 plus, but he was teaching the disciples, <clears throat> I won't be with you always. I want you, to rem- I want you to know, and I want it burned in your heart, that I am sufficient. I am sufficient for you. I'm all you need. You don't need a basket of fish. And bread, it's me that will supply it. You get my drift? <laughs> Jesus knew, in fact, the storm was coming. He knew it. He and his father planned it, by the way. He put them on the boat out there, and halfway across, they end up in this terrible storm. It was a huge object lesson. It was a teaching moment. It was an object lesson, the storm. What are they going to do? And I think in our modern terms, it was testing their faith. Are they going to be fearful? Not that all of them had to jump out and walk on the water to, to reveal their faith, but the idea is, are they going to fail or pass? Wow, that was, that started in the Garden of Eden. You remember that? Are we going to pass or fail? And Jesus put him out on that boat, finally came over. And Jesus appears 
They were alone for a while. And in their aloneness, a storm came. They're human. They're like us. Fears began to be installed and instilled in their hearts. Very much like mine, I'm sure. And I probably would react the very same way. Number two, as he prepares them for these teaching moments, he then presents himself in verses 25 through 27. You ever give a testimony to a Christian friend or your neighbor? Just in the nick of time, Jesus showed up in my life. Just in the nick of time. I thought I was so discouraged and so despaired, I I, I was going to jump off that cliff, but just in the nick of time, Christ appeared to me through the word, through prayer, through encouragement from somebody else. And Jesus appeared to them just in the nick of time. You know, God especially uh, uh, shares this in the book of James, that just, just when <laughs> you think all is lost, God appears. But what's he trying to teach us then, too? In the midst of the storm, Jesus shows himself. There was a... Uh, historical and a time-spatial element dynamic that was important to the disciples and those who were around Jesus for 33 and a half years before he died and went to heaven is that Jesus was physically there. We, We understand that. The people sitting next to us are physically there. Possibly someday they would not, they're not gonna be there. For whatever reason. Jesus was teaching his disciples all the time. I'm not going to be with you physically also. But I'm going to send who? The Holy Spirit. Now, loved ones, that's something that we have. That's, we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have Jesus physically with us. Although the Trinity lives within our bodies once we accept him. And we become a child of his. We have God with us all the time called the Holy Spirit. Amen? He's with us all the time. The word of God is, is, is nearer to us most of the time than a cookbook or a, a, my car's mechanic uh, catalog, uh, how to fix a piston. It, it, the Holy Spirit, the Bible is there. We have everything we need and we want. In the midst of the storm, Jesus shows up physically And in our storms, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word, we have people that love us, that encourages us. And I love what he says, uh, take courage, guys, it's me. I love it when I beat Penny home a couple times a week, and uh, she comes in without me meeting her at the door. Hello? You got supper ready? No, I'm only kidding. Hello, it's me. 
Jesus was trying to implant a conscientious awareness of his presence, particularly at that time, but all the time. I'm sure I don't have to teach him or preach it to him, but Ryan and Kristen, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's with your brother. He's with your brother-in-law. He's there. He's there. In the midst of the storm, he's there. And he wasn't just talking to Peter, who will eventually jump out of the boat and walk on the water. He's talking to all of them. Number three, Jesus permits Peter to walk on the water. He permits him to. He, he could have said, no, I don't want you to do that. But number three says yes in 28 through 31. Lord, if you command, can, can I come out and come to you? Can I come to you? I love this. I... <laughs> Peter, come. Jump out. Come on. Come on. Come to me. Peter, do the impossible. Unless God performed a miracle on that day, fishing with the guys, if I stepped out or any of us stepped out and started walking in the water, it's only because of Jesus. But I wasn't going to test it that day. But Jesus said, do the impossible. And the disciples in the boat are looking at each other. What is he talking about? Hey, guys, remember a couple hours ago what we did with over 10,000 people? Remember that paralytic I raised? Remember that guy couldn't hear me? Now can hear? Remember that guy couldn't speak? Oh, Peter... Sometimes you have your mouth and your foot in your mouth, but this time, jump out of the boat, come to me, and do the impossible. You know what, love? I'm not going to dictate, and I'm not even going to come close. What's the impossible in your life? What's the impossible? You know, John, I'd love to do that, and I really believe for 20 years God's asked me to do that, but I just can't because I fear. I fear of what will happen. Well, you're, you're going to stick in the boat. You're in the boat. What's in your boat? Fear, trepidation, turbulence, anxiety. Just before that, before Peter stepped out, he said, Hey, guys, take courage. It's me. You've heard this before sharing with you, but Penny and I would never have gone to South Africa. You would have never supported us when we took off in 1980 if we didn't read in Matthew 28 and in Mark 15 and understand fully theologically that Jesus said, wherever I am, wherever you are, I'm there. And wherever I lead you, I will take care of you. We, we would not have gone if we didn't understand that. Some of you would not be doing today what you're doing if you didn't understand the phrase, and I am always with you even to the end of the age. You wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Praise the Lord. 
And while we're not emphasizing Peter so much right now, when, when, when Peter fell through the water, Jesus reached down and grabbed him. Now, we don't know. None of our producers and directors of these modern videos know how far Jesus was to or whatever. You know, we, we get these... You get these films, and it shows him walking a couple steps, and he's not. He could have walked clear over to Jesus wherever he was. Maybe he was 20, 30, 40 feet away from the boat yet. To the guys, he still looked like a ghost in the wind and the waves and how high the waves were. We, we don't know. But wherever Peter fell through, Jesus was there instantaneously or immediately and grabbed, grabbed him. Well, that's a nice lesson to learn. We're not going to camp on that. But that's, that's where Jesus is. Where? Right next to you. James, the book of James now, referred to it three times this morning, tells us that if anybody's walked away from the relationship, you and God, it sure hasn't been God. It's been us. What grabs us by the hand and walks us away from Christ in a fellowship And he's back there standing, and we want, what, what, what takes our hand in? Other than Satan, the world, and the flesh, fear, maybe, anxiety. Now, just to keep you awake, awake, number four, I've, I haven't, I haven't uh, yeah, Jesus receives their worship, so it's not a P, it's an R, okay? So make sure you get that straight. Once they got back into the boat, both of them, once again, Jesus proves his divinity through miracles, and they worshiped him. Hey, way to go, guys. Yeah, that's a righteous clap. Yes, way to go. You're now worshiping the Lord Jesus, who is God. And what's, what's interesting, why I use the word receives is that these boys that stayed in the boat that could have said, hey, let's follow Peter, which they did occasionally. Well, they weren't going to try it in this storm. They were all going to stay in. And Peter's the only one that's got some guts this time. So they're all going to stay in. And, uh, and, and in my mind, and possibly yours this morning, that fear kept them in the boat, for sure. But Jesus said, hey, you guys blew it this morning, or this, after, uh, this morning, 3 to 6 in the morning. But I'm going to receive your worship anyway. You see what I'm, you know, I'm so driving to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive your worship anyway. Maybe it should have just been Peter, but I'm gonna let all of you worship me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna permit that. I'm gonna receive all of your worship. That's neat. That's just like Jesus. In retro, looking back in verse 28, the disciples refused to leave the boat. And we may still ask ourselves why. Let me share some dynamics why I thought they didn't leave the boat. The disciples refused to leave because of fear of the wind, the waves, drowning. I'd have those same sentiments. (laughs) Uh, Guys, Peter, you see the waves out there? It's not every day you get to walk on the water. <clears throat> see the lightning? See the rain? See the three, four foot waves? I 
Number two, uh, maybe why they stayed in the boat is they, they weren't really sure who was walking toward them. In fact, Matthew records who was in the boat, records, hey, hey we thought it was a ghost until he actually talked to Peter. Well, we, we thought it was a ghost. I have reasons. I can rationalize. I can justify me doing various things. And I have a list of things this morning that I could tell you why, uh, uh, that I'm fearful of. I need this. I need this. This is why it's such an impact in my life. That's why this passage blows me away. I need this. Their comfort in the boat and contentment was there in the boat, not outside the boat. Inside the boat was familiarity, disciples holding each other's hands because it was so tough, holding on to the railings, stability. And as I mentioned, why I didn't want to get out of the boat on Lake Erie was my future was in that boat. In other words, me, my future. everything that's going to happen in the future was in that boat. All they wanted or needed at that time was in the boat. Can you relate to any of this? My loved ones, can, can you relate to this? Dr. Mark Graham is a longtime friend of mine. We've gone from kindergarten, literally, back in Binghamton, New York, right up through all five years at BBC in Clark Summit. Recently wrote a book titled, and gave it to me, Harnessing the Harassment of Human Fears. Harnessing the Harassment of Human Fears. And he says this about the myths and the fallacies of fear. Stay with me. Very probably, Dr. Graham says, the greatest myth of the fear encounter rests with the lie of our mind that says, I can't do this. That's a fallacy. That's a myth. And we say it, he says. It may be public speaking or simply opening your home to your neighbors for an evening of hospitality. It may be something quite different, such as driving over a bridge or through the Lincoln Tunnel. Nobody's laughing. I'm not laughing. I'm not criticizing. It's life. Possibly it is the fear of ever being alone or just the opposite, the fear of being in a group or a crowd of people. But whatever the stimulus, the lie is the same. I can't do this. And herein is the beginning of defeat and the slippery slope of our undoing, he says. Clearly, this is a lie. And I agree with him. An untruth set off in our heads. Underscore this reality and mark it well. It is simply not true that I can't do this. Now realize there are physical events and exercises that we can't physically do. I realize that and even... With our mind, I'm not that silly, I'm not that naive, and neither is he. He knows that. The phrase is nothing more than a self-fulfilling prophecy. If it is true, it is because we make it so and for no other reason. 
Dr. Graham goes on to say, bottom line, the fearful person recounts an earlier fearful experience or gives thought to former episodes and hoists the flag of surrender, making the choice to succumb to the path of least resistance. So he thinks. I won't do it. It's the least, it's the path of least resistance. It's like water going downhill. Everyone gets weary in warfare. True, he says. No one enjoys a perpetual career in hand-to-hand combat. In quotes, ah, gets weary and tired and trying, of trying, time and time again, unquotes. End quotes. Is the best analysis of what happens at ground zero in the fear experience. We, do, we just don't want the hassle anymore. Therefore, I refuse, I won't, and I can't. Let me ask the question again. What's in your boat? How often in life do you or I say, I can't, I won't, thus I refuse? When it's not true. Peter's fear was overcome by a couple of things. Let me just suggest these, although we're not featuring him. Number one, he wanted to be with the Lord. He says, it is, Jesus said, it is I. Do you know that fellowship with Christ builds courage and stamina? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it again, and you've heard it over and over and over again probably, and you're, boy, oh boy, this is, this is like, you're really milking this all you can. <laughs> Are you in the word every day or close to it? Are you, are you studying the Bible? Are you reading it? Are we applying it? If it doesn't make sense to you, then I lovingly, respectfully say, then that's contrary to what the Bible says. If you're a child of God, if you're born again, you will begin to understand and enjoy the word. If you hate the Bible and reading it, if you can't stand it, and, and it's not part of your life on a daily or every other day or schedule or some kind of routine of being in it and you don't understand it, possibly, and I say this lovingly with my arms around you, maybe you're not a child of God because that's a promise in the word. 1 Corinthians 1 through 3 talks about not understanding the milk of the word. You're not born again. You're a natural man. Peter heard the words, it is I. And so he said, I want to I be with him. I'm going to walk out. Number two, he trusted faith. He, he trusted or had faith in his Lord. He said, come, come. Jesus, God said, come, come. Are you going to sit in the boat when God says, come? That's the way I look at it. Come. Uh, I... I I don't see them here now. They may be here somewhere, but James and Christina Robertson at one time and still do say, we are willing to take our little family and go to the Dominican Republic. Remember that? Uh, about two months ago, sitting with them and directing this whole program for them, we decided, the three of us, or I understood, the three of us, that we all agree that this is not a time in their life to take a whole year out 
of their life, July 2019 to, to July 2020, and go to the DR, where we go every year and, and perform duties um, working with the school and the church, that it's not something that we both believe we sh they shouldn't be doing. So we talked to the mission committee, we talked to the pastors, and they all agree. But you know something? That's not out of their, that's not out of their heart. They grieve at that, that they can't go. That this, that we, we strongly believe this is not the time for them to go as a church and as a committee and pastors. But they trusted and they had faith to get out of the boat and walk on the water when he said, come down to the DR and do what I want you to do. Are you with me? You hear me? They were willing to do that, as most of you or all of you or some of you are really willing to do things daily in your life that we don't know anything about. Number three, Jesus, uh, Peter, he never walked on water before. It seemed like the cool thing to do. <laughs> it wasn't that cool to me to jump out of the boat in Lake Erie and see if I could walk on the water. But, but there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, uh, Peter said to Jesus, command me to come to you. While the other ones were staying in the boat, hugging, hugging the railings and the boat, Peter was willing to get out and walk to, to Jesus at his command. Now, th this is cool. We have a, an intergenerational team every year go down to the DR. You know that. Between 16 and 18, we just came back from our July 14 to 21. Excuse me, so lots of people saved, discipled, so on and so on. When I ask, when I ask some of the teens, especially on the application or face-to-face, -face, why do you want to go? They give me some good spiritual, spiritual answers, and then some of them, like I would do, yeah, <laughs> I've never been there. It's a cool thing to do. I'm going to try it. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I've never done this before. I, I'd like to try it. I'd like to do what I can. And that's what Peter said. The Hoffmans and I, Penny, were blown away this last spring and summer, going to summer after uh, our community day. We had 12 to, we had 10 to 12, 13 different couples or singles going out and, and knocking on doors of the people that came to Community Day. That doesn't happen all the time here at NBC. But we had teams going out. Hey, I've never done this. This is a cool thing. In fact, I like doing this. Some of them commented on their paper. You know what? The disciples in the boat were drowning in their fear while Peter was walking on the water. Not drowning. in his expectation of being with Jesus. They were dying in the boat while Peter was out, should have been dying in the water, drowning. And yet he was better off than they were. Finally, let's uh, do those slides again. Um, Ed. 
Let's finish up with these. I notice that fear destroys self-confidence. You know, David ran into Goliath. And David said, with my past experiences of what God gave me, I have confidence with a stick and a sling. And I'm going after this huge fellow. A lot of us have Goliaths in our life. And there's nothing wrong either in knowing that we're going to conquer these Goliaths with what God has given to us in the past. Our sling and our stick that we used in the past is going to help us as we encounter this Goliath. Fear diminishes success. When Penny and I were serving uh, for you and representing you and other churches in Kokstad, which is where our second church is, and it's where Monica was born, Kokstad, South Africa, there was what we call a Bantu village up on the hill. The English-speaking and African whites lived in their homes under the apartheid system, lived in nice areas, and then the apartheid, the white apartheid government gave lousy land way up on a hill for our black South Africans. So when we got there, our ministry and our objective was to work with our black South African. I wanted to learn Tulsa. I wanted to be around them. So our little Jason, uh, who was uh, four and a half at the time, and I had a little motorcycle that I bought, and he and I would take candy and soccer ball and would go up to the Bantu village, not knowing if they were going to spear me, if they were going to grab us and kill us or whatever. But we went up, and they heard the putt-putt of this little motorcycle and the little white boy <laughs> passing out candy, which they never received, the little guys. And we started ministries that way. And I came home to Penny and Monica every night, every day. And right now there's a church on that hill called Horseshoe Baptist Church because of ministries that we had and you supported us back in the 80s. Was I a bit fearful or? Yeah. But I also knew that Jesus was with me. And he told me that wherever you go, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to protect you. Number three, fear delays satisfaction. Many of you, I know you would, some of you have said it to me, many of you would say right now, if I only would have done this so many years ago, I'd be different. Or I'd be here or there or whatever in the Lord's ministry or work. Fear delays satisfaction. God loves us so much that when we, even when we disobey him, He's still, still there, still walking with us, still cares about us. I told you the other day, expositionally, when you read the Bible and you come up across dynamics that are negative, that God always brings the positives. And here's the solution. How do, I, how do I not become fearful? And there's only three, my goodness. Uh, by the way, I can do workshops on this, on this topic that we have right now. I, I can go on forever. We've got workshops. We've got 
PowerPoints, we got readings. We, this is an incredible subject. And our joy is helping people, helping people get out of the boat, get out of the boat. Philippians 4.13, the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul the Apostle was human too. He knew what fear was. In 1 John 4.18, an admonition for you and me, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. But he who fears has been made perfect in love. Christ has perfect love. What about us? And lastly, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We've got three enemies, and they're always after our throats, guys, gals. The world, the old Adamic nature inside, and, and Satan. Can I suggest that, that we take a step out of the boat and onto, not into the water, but onto the water. And here's some very practical things that you could be thinking about. The pastoral staff, particularly Carrie Puff, is directing an October 7th ministry fair. On that Sunday, October 7th, you will leave this auditorium after the, after the morning service and travel down to the gym where there will be many, many tables set up as display tables showing you the ministry, ministries that we have here. Yeah, and we'd like to have you consider them and look at them and say, hey, I, I didn't know I could do this, but hey, I could help you here. I could work here. I could do this or that. So there's a, there's a ministry fair coming uh, October 7th. There's an outreach team that meets the third Tuesday of every month, and they're involved and engaged and directing various outreach events that we have. See, uh, Christmas in the Valley, uh, Community Day, Friendship Day coming up on September 16th, and other events. We could use you on the committee and use you as volunteers in those outreach events. There's children's ministries. You see it in the bulletin. You're, You're you're, you're taking it in. There's children's ministries uh, that need people, that need you to get out of the boat and walk in the children's ministry as you. What about your work, your own work? How is God touching your heart and, uh, of getting out of the boat, uh, getting out of fear and doing whatever at work? How about family? What about neighbors? Penny and I uh, have said goodbye to two neighbors. There must be something about us. Both sides of us, they've left. Uh, but we enjoy it when the new ones come in. We, we pounce on them. <laughs> we cookies and ice cream and whatever else. And we try to love them right away so that there's, there's, a, there's a, hey, we're, we're your friends. We're your neighbors. How, what can we do? And that, that's happening Monday. We got a brand new young couple coming in right next to us on Monday. The list can go on and on and on. You've been patient, you've been kind, you've responded well. Thank you very much for your heart. Some of you are sitting here still in the boat of fear. Who, I, I'm fear, I fear giving my, what is, what's he talking about? Giving my life and my sin, my heart to Christ. 
I think one of the simple questions that we ask, I do people for the first time that I meet, or if you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? If you don't know where you would spend eternity, or if you say, I'm going to heaven because of my good works, (laughs) neither one of them, that, that doesn't do a thing with God. You've got to go through the blood of Christ. No man cometh unto the Father but through me, Jesus said. We'd love to talk to you. We're going to give you an invitation, in fact. We'd like to have you either walk down or talk to one of us after the service. Christian brother and sister, if you're here and you need to get out of the boat and you know it, we're here not to criticize. We're not here to bash. We're here to pray and counsel if we can. So please, come down this morning or talk to us afterwards. Love to talk to you. Let's pray. It's always a privilege, Father, to open up your word. It's always a joy to share and encourage our family members and those who are here even for the first time. I pray, Father, that you would hear their prayers this morning, touch our hearts, and may you move us for your glory. Save, we pray. Bring people to the cross. Show them the empty tomb. Jesus lives. Touch our Christian family. May you bring a revival to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.